0: Great to see you this morning. As we continue the study in the book of Hebrews, I would ask that you turn to Hebrews chapter 2 as well as Psalm 8. We will be looking at both passages today. Hebrews chapter 2 and Psalm 8. And let me pray as we uh, begin our time in God's Word this morning. Father God in heaven, thank you, God, for who you are and what you've done for us. God, that you are a father who is. Uh, rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love. God, you are mighty and worthy to be praised, and I thank you that you have gathered us here this morning as your people uh, to worship you. Lord, as we continue in our time together, as we open your scriptures, I ask that by your Holy Spirit you would uh, give us understanding of your word, uh, open our hearts to receive the gospel of Jesus who saves us, God, I pray that we would walk away changed, reflecting uh, the image of Christ and and reflecting your glory uh, to one another and to a dying world. God, I pray that these things happen for your glory and our joy and that the gospel of Jesus would indeed go forth. We thank you in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him Who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. This is God's word. Friends, you were destined for greatness, but not for your glory. But Christ's glory. Jesus saves you for greatness, but this is not for your glory, but for His glory. Everybody likes a good comeback story. Think of comeback stories you like maybe in sports or a celebrity, or, you know, we always tend to root for the underdog. Maybe somebody who was down and now is back on top, right? For me as a musician, I'm a big fan of the band Def Leppard. Hmm? Right? You young kids, hang with me. We'll get there. In 1977, in Sheffield, England, the band Def Leppard was formed. They became one of the first metal bands to be on MTV. Again, you young kids, ask me later what MTV is. I don't even know anymore. In 1983, Def Leppard's single photograph Uh, was one of their famous hits that pushed them to stardom, supplanting Michael Jackson's Beat It as the most requested video for a few weeks on MTV. In 1984, the band's drummer, Rick Allen, was in a car accident. He was driving recklessly, didn't have his seatbelt properly attached, and this car accident caused him to lose his left arm. In the hospital, they tried to surgically reattach his arm, but it became infected and had to be permanently removed. In the weeks following the accident, Alan, the drummer, was uh, depressed. Having tasted uh, fame and fortune and a thriving career as a musician that was just beginning, he was depressed thinking he would never play drums again. He thought his career was over. One day, the band's frontman and singer came to visit him and encouraged him and said, look, the band's still here. We're still with you. We're waiting for you to get better so you can get back to work. After some time, a custom drum set was built for Alan with one arm missing to still be able to play drums using his feet and modern technology and the other arm that he had. And he returned to the tour with the band and when he was introduced on the stage received a standing ovation even before the music began. Their next album sold over 20 million copies worldwide including their hit single Pour Some Sugar On Me and 30 years after the accident Rick Allen is still the drummer for Def Leppard. In fact, I just saw this weekend where Def Leppard performed that awesome song Photograph with Taylor Swift. Huh? Huh? Legit. See, this comeback story is a great example for our spiritual life. See, we are reckless and headed for destruction, like like in a car going at high speeds without a seatbelt, being foolish and reckless. That is our life. We are headed for destruction, our own doom by our own hand. But see, often what happens is we encounter Jesus, and he saves us, right? Right? We feel rescued by Christ, forgiven uh, by sin. I mean, maybe we are uh, heading for disaster or maybe we have already had a wreck and then Jesus saves us and often that salvation makes us sit on the sidelines and say, you know what? I was injured by my reckless living, but Jesus saved me, so I'm just going to sit here for a while. Or or maybe we say, hey, you know what? That was so hard. My life was so bad and I made so many mistakes. I'll never get over it. I'm just going to... Continue to sit this one out, fellas. Like, I know that Jesus saved me, but I don't want to get back in the game. It would be like Rick Allen saying, look, man, this stinks. I mean, I lost my arm, but forget it. I'm never going to play drums again. And that's how you and I are in our spiritual life. And see, the fact of the matter is, is that Christ not only saves us, he restores us. We often forget that part of the gospel is not just salvation from sin and from death, but actually part of the gospel is Jesus restoring us to how we should be and who we should be. Restoring us from why we were created, I mean, taking us from destruction and brokenness and putting us back in the game. See, the grace of God is not only our salvation in the next life, but the grace of God is restoration in the current life as well. See, the writer of Hebrews addresses this. Throughout the the first chapter and into the second chapter, the writer of Hebrews is showing us the supremacy of Christ over all creation, that Jesus is the true and better prophet of God, the true and better messenger of God with with the message of the gospel, and that that Jesus is the uh, true and better priest who stands in the gap between a broken humanity and a holy, sovereign God, uh, and, and that Jesus, indeed, is the one who not only saves God's wayward people, but he restores them. And friends, for all of us in this room, if you are not a Christian and you have no idea what the gospel is, it is, my hope and prayer for you today that you would see the beauty of Christ as your Savior. And for all of us, if you are a Christian as well, I want us to see the beauty of Christ as our restorer. Because often I think, in Christian circles particularly, we think that Jesus just saves us so we can sit on the curb and wait for the bus to come pick us up and take us to heaven. All the while, Christ is bringing restoration for us to get up and get back in the game, right? So that we could live for his glory and his purposes here and now and into eternity. It is God's intention for us. Our created purpose of why we were even made was to walk with him in worship and reflecting his glory. So I want us to look at what the writer of Hebrews says here. In chapter 2, as he uh, continues saying how the, the supremacy of Christ is, is over everything, that Jesus is over all creation and that his message is the true and better gospel, and we tend to drift because of sin and because of idols and because of weariness and because of brokenness, he calls us back to see the glory uh, of Christ and how he saves us and restores us. And I want to look at it this way. He, he brings in Psalm 8. Psalm 8. And so a couple things I want us to take away today is for us to know that we were created to reflect God's glory, but our brokenness disrupts our created purpose. But in Christ, we are rescued and restored. So first look at this. We are created to reflect God's glory. In Hebrews 2, verse 6, the writer uh, quotes Psalm 8 and verse 6, 7, and eight. So I want us to turn to Psalm eight. Because anytime a New Testament author quotes the old the Old Testament, they're not just quoting like one catchphrase. Like often you think like, you know, row, row, row your boat is not really about that. It's also about gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream, right? In the same way, when a New Testament writer would quote a line from Psalm eight for for the original hearers of this word, they would they would it would bring them back to all of Psalm eight. So for us to understand that the writer in chapter 2 is saying, look, uh, he's he's dropping a couple lines from Psalm 8. We need to read all of Psalm 8. You're with me? You are. Are you there? Great. Here we go. It's on the screen, I think. There you go. Psalm chapter 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We were created to reflect God's glory. The writer of Hebrews quoting Psalm 8. You see that Psalm 8 is is this beautiful uh, worship song to the Lord whose name is majestic in all the earth, and, and he's, uh, so it says it's a psalm of David, he's writing out this praise song, saying, when I look at the heavens, when I look at the, the, the works of your hands, God, who am I? See, as created beings, we were created to worship the Lord. We forget that. We think we were created to make some money, to have a little fun, to hook up with somebody. Our created purpose was to worship the Lord. And when we get a good glimpse of who God is, it puts us in our place. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And, and who am I as a man, as a person, that you would be mindful of me? You see, the imagery in Psalm 8 tells of the story of why we were created. We were created to reflect God's glory because glory is worship. We know that in Scripture, glory is the character of God. And when the, when the glory of God comes down upon His people, it is God showing His character. And that as humans, we are, we are to glorify God, which means to, to reflect God's good and holy character. And this is what the psalmist does in Psalm 8. But look what he says here. He says, who am I as a man that you would be mindful of me? Psalm 8, verse 5, You have made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned Him with glory and honor. This is a passage of Scripture that has a couple of different understandings. In its original context in Psalm 8, it is David pouring out a love song to the Lord saying, You are beautiful and wonderful. And who is mankind that You would be mindful of us? As, as mankind, You have put glory and honor on us, which means we are created to reflect Your goodness, God. And there's a few ways that we do that. There's a few ways we reflect the glory of God. The reason we were created to reflect His glory, we do that in a couple ways. One, in dominion and work. Secondly, in our relationships. If you turn back to Genesis, the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 and 28, we see that God creates everything out of nothing And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right at the beginning of the Bible, I mean, the the first thing we see is God creating everything out of nothing. He creates the first man, the first woman, and says, "Uh, I'm creating man in my image. Male and female, I'm creating them to reflect my image, to reflect my glory, in essence, to glorify me. Here's how they do that. Dominion and relationships. Dominion means to work. Work is not a curse. Work is not a result of the fall. Work was before sin entered the world. Right at the beginning, God was creating male and female to glorify Him. And one way to do that is to have dominion over the earth. It says over livestock, over the birds of the heaven, fish of the sea, everything that creeps on the earth. It says be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. This is not a, a subjugation thing. This is not an abuse kind of thing. In fact, we see that happens because of sin, because of the fall. But God's created order was that man and woman in his image would have dominion over the earth. That's the way we reflect God's glory. Secondly, another way relationships being created in the image of god male and female he created them and god blessed them and then he said be fruitful and multiply right so part of our created nature to glorify god and we were made in the image of god to reflect his glory as image bearers like like mirrors, saying, "Let us shine how gloriful, uh, glorified God is." Well, Let us glorify God with our actions. And part of that mandate is to have dominion over the earth. It means to work, to be creative, to do stuff, to make stuff, to start a business, to run a business, to, to till the earth and have a garden, to plant flowers. You know, to write something, to write a song, to go do surgery on somebody, and like to subdue that disease and restore somebody's life. All of that is dominion. Relationships, marriage and family. I mean, God creates male and female so that we could reflect the glory of God in our relationships, in marriage and in family. We were created in His image so that we would reflect His glory. And we see that Genesis tells us that. We get back to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 tells us that as the the psalmist is saying, O Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. And just familiar language all throughout Psalm 8 that should resonate with you, Genesis 1. Because first and foremost, we were created in the image of God to glorify Him. But secondly, we've got to see this part. Our brokenness disrupts our created purpose. Right? We were created to glorify God, which means as image bears. We reflect His goodness. We reflect His character. We reflect God's godness in our work And in our relationships, but our brokenness disrupts our created purpose. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, you see that sin and rebellion enters the world. And the rest of the Bible is just one disaster after another. And God's intervention rescuing his wayward people. See, what happens in our brokenness is we fail. We either fail to reflect God's godness and our dominion and our relationships or we reflect some other something in our dominion and relationships, right? There's a couple of different ways this happens. In our d- dominion, I mean, God has given us charge to work and to, to have dominion over the earth and over animals, but one way in our brokenness that that is disrupted is we abuse it. And rather than having influence and creativity, we, we have power struggles, and we want to hold people down rather than lift them up, and we want to rule over a corporation rather than take the gospel there. We want to outdo one another and make a lot more money than the other guy, so we can feel better about ourselves. All the while, that is not why we were created. We were created to have dominion in certain realms so that we could reflect God's godness. In our relationships, brokenness can look this way. Sometimes, rather than for a man and woman to reflect God's godness to each other, you can have men being overly dominating and chauvinistic. That's brokenness. Or men being just overly passive and just disengaged? That's brokenness. Women, too, I suppose. I don't know. I'm not one. I am a guy, so I can speak to that. And if you think, well, yeah, I see brokenness. I can't find a girl that I like. Well, then you have something wrong with you. You're broken. Right? If you don't think you're broken, get married. Not so that you can have some person to say, that girl's broken. But rather, you get married to somebody, you're going to see your brokenness. Right, fellas? I mean, if you're married, you get married... And dudes, you will find how broken you are when you marry a woman. Have kids. Not so that you can look at your kids and say, man, what a bunch of little sinners. Let me tell you, you hang out with those little sinners, you find out how big of a sinner you are, how much you need Jesus. We're getting to that part. See, we were created in the image of God to reflect his glory, but our brokenness disrupts our created purpose. Either we will not reflect his glory or or we will reflect some other glory, like ourselves or our idols or our sin, or even in our best efforts, we try to reflect God's glory, but it's kind of a little off, like a mirror. We were created as perfect, beautiful, shiny, clean mirrors to reflect God's godness. But brokenness is like a mirror that's been cracked and smudged and muddied a little bit. Even in our best efforts, our reflecting God's glory is still weak. So we end up being broken and want to be disengaged. Or we try to fix ourselves. We're like people who were in a car racing recklessly without a seat belt. And we crash and we lose our arm. And sometimes we sit on the sidelines and say, let me try to put my arm back on. It's not going to work. Or sometimes we'll sit and say, I'm so broken and worthless, forget it. I give up. I'm going to be passive. So what does brokenness look like in your life? What does brokenness look like in your work? Are you a workaholic, power hungry, money hungry? Are you totally passive? You don't even want to work? What does brokenness look like in your relationships? Are you a domineering, angry person that uses people? Or are you passive and say nobody's good enough to be with me because I'm just so all that that you can't even get along with people? Here's the good news, friends. All of us were were created for the purpose to reflect God's glory. Likewise, all of us experience brokenness to different degrees. And my hope and prayer is that as I get to the good news right here, is that we will not say, let me do better and try harder. I want us all to have an honest look at how beautiful God is, and what a mess we are, and together say, I'm so thankful that Jesus saves us and restores us. Because Jesus doesn't save you to just sit on the sidelines in your passivity at work and in your relationships. And Jesus does not save you so that you can continue being a domineering jerk to your wife. Jesus saves you so that he can restore you, so that you can better reflect his godness to your spouse, to your family, to others in this church, to the community where you live, to the place that you work and the co-workers that you work with. So check this out. Let's get back to the Bible. We've seen in Genesis our created purpose. We see how the psalmist echoes this in his beautiful song. "Oh Oh Lord, how majestic is your name. You have set your glory above the heavens, God. Who is mankind that you would be mindful of us? And you have put glory and honor on man's head. Right, you're following the train of thought. God, you, your glory is up here, and you created us. We're down here, but you put glory and honor on us. And you know what happens? We blow it because we're broken. Look how Jesus fulfills this beautiful psalm in Psalm eight. Back in Hebrews chapter two, verse five. Now it was not said to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. I love it. It's been testified somewhere. Psalm 8. It's been testified in Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So what happens is the author of Hebrews is taking this beautiful idea that in Scripture we are created to glorify God and that, and that the psalmist even says it in Psalm 8 that we, we are created to glorify God and you give us glory and honor so we could glorify you, but uh, the understanding that we are broken and need restoration. And so he takes Psalm 8 and says this is how Jesus fulfills our created purpose on our behalf. This is the beauty of Scripture. This is why you need the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's because we see that Christ takes our created purpose and fulfills it to a T on our behalf. I love that he, he just says, I mean, this is where the son of man in Psalm 8, it, it can be a phrase that just means mankind. Right? Like if you're like a, a Hebrew guy in David's kingdom walking around saying, hey, I'm a son of man. It means I'm just a guy. I'm a dude. I'm a son of man. Right? But when Jesus sets foot on the scene in the first century, a few hundred years after David, a few hundred years after Psalm 8 was written, Jesus sets foot on the scene and starts using the Son of Man as his title, like the perfect Son of Man, Son of God, living the life that every man and woman should live but can't. And in so doing, saying, I am setting foot into created order to not only rescue and save but to restore it. I'm going to restore all that's broken. And this is what's beautiful about it. So the psalmist is quoted in Hebrews 2, and then in verse 8 it says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Do you understand that nothing is outside of Jesus' control? Nothing. Your job, your health, your marriage, your family, your shoelace, I mean, everything is subject to Christ. That's how powerful Jesus is. He, he not only saves, but he's restoring everything. He doesn't just come down and say, oh man, you got a cough, let me give you some cough syrup. He doesn't come down and say, oh, you need, you need to get picked up, let me just pick you up. But he just says, look, I'm going to restore everything that's broken. Creation, relationships, the dominion that you were just blowing to pieces, I'm going to restore that. You know, your marriage, that's, you're blowing it, I'm going to restore your marriage. Your family, when you're like domineering over your children or just totally neglecting them, I'm going to restore that. Christ reorients us to our created purpose as glory reflectors of God. I mean, when Jesus set foot on the earth, he comes in not only teaching and preaching the good news, but displaying this good news. And that's why every miracle Jesus did was not just like, oh, there's a hungry guy, I feel sorry for him, let me give him a sandwich. He doesn't do that. Every time Jesus feeds somebody, it's to say, look, you feast on me, you will never starve again. You think this bread will save you and keep you alive? It won't. Feast on me, I have have true eternal life. When he feeds thousands of people, it's not only to show that he can take a couple loaves and a couple fish and feed thousands of people. That's a miracle in itself. He's saying, I am Lord over this bread, this wheat, these fish. Boom! But also, that he is showing his godness in compassion and grace and sustenance. Just saying, I will take care of my people. When he heals lame, blind, and deaf people, it was not only to show compassion on an individual, but to make a statement about his kingdom, that he is restoring all sickness, all lameness, deafness, blindness, physically, and spiritually. So that if you are spiritually speaking in a car wreck and you lose your arm, spiritually speaking, you're not just going to sit on the side and say, I give up on being a Christian. I give up on loving my wife. I give up on working hard and reflecting God's glory and the job He's given me on this earth. I give up. And Jesus says, No. I'm coming to heal the lame and the deaf and the blind. I give up, Jesus, because I don't feel like I hear you anymore. And Jesus is saying, I heal the the deaf, I can't can't see where you're leading me in my life. I feel like rather than looking to your majestic name in the heavens, Lord, I'm looking to myself and my own strength. I'm looking to other sin and idols to fulfill me, and I'm not getting fulfilled. And Jesus says, I will take this blindness off of you and look to me. When Jesus says, Lives the perfect life on our behalf, fulfilling not only the Son of Man but the Son of Man expectations from Psalm eight, crowned with glory and honor and not blowing it in brokenness, but rather fulfilling it in righteousness. He lives the death we should have died. I mean lives the life we should have lived and dies the death we should have died as our substitute on a cross. He comes back from the grave, resurrected as a foreshadowing of what's to come for you and I. And when he returns, his kingdom will be fully broken in. See, here's where we are right now, friends. We were created to reflect God in our work, and our relationships. Brokenness affects everything. We blow it. Psalm 8 says, hey, God's up here. He's mindful of man. He gives man glory and honor to steward. And, and man says, I'm going to blow it. Rather than reflect your glory and honor, I'm just going to blow it on myself and my work and my relationships, whatever. And then in Christ, we are both rescued and restored because Jesus comes in not only to save us from the mess we're in, but to restore us back to how we should be while we were created in the first place. But here's the catch, my friends. Because if you're like me, you're sitting here saying, look, man, I believe Jesus. I read my Bible every day. I follow Him every day. My marriage is still hard. You know, my kids don't listen to me, man. Work's a nightmare right now. Nobody in the community respects me. Nobody in the community likes me. It seems like everything I touch breaks. I can't manage my money the way I want to. I can't build friendships the way I'd hoped. I'm not a likable person. I'm not wise with money. I'm not skilled in my labor. I mean, I should be further in my career than this. Maybe you were thinking all of those things. Hey man, I'm 35. I listen to Def Leppard. I have a, a midlife crisis pending. You want to see my new tattoo? Come on. Serious. We're all there. We're all broken. But here's the beauty of the gospel as we look to Christ as our rescuer and restorer. And here is the toughest thing in the world, I think, for us as believers in the gospel. is His kingdom is here, but it's not all the way here yet. So... We, we find ourselves frustrated saying, well, he saved me and he's going to restore me, but why, why am I not restored yet? Why do I still struggle with this sin? I mean, why do I still have language the way that, I mean, I talk like a 14-year-old, man. I've been a believer for, I'm talking about myself, I've been a believer for 25 years, man. And when I get mad, you should hear the things I say, really, Jeremy? You should be further along than that. Just a little confession. I was raised on the streets, y'all. But here's the beauty. As in Christ, we are rescued and restored. His kingdom is beginning. It's not all the way here yet. We have something to look forward to. So imagine being Rick Allen, the drummer of Def Leopard, and you lose your arm, and you can say, man, I'm just going to give up. Or you can say, no, I'm going to try to fix it myself, and that doesn't work. Or you can say, you know what? I was created to be a drummer in the best rock band ever. And we're going to do a song with Taylor Swift. And, you know, I don't know if Rick Allen is a Christian or not. But I can tell you this. When Jesus comes in his full kingdom, he'll have both arms again. And he'll be an amazing drummer. But it's a beautiful picture of the... Of the gospel is that in Christ we are rescued and restored, even though maybe not all the way there yet. So maybe you're here today and metaphorically speaking, you feel like a one armed drummer because of the sin in your life. Or you feel like a one armed drummer because of the state of your marriage or the state of your work or the state of your brokenness. Here's what I want to encourage you with, my friends, is that God created you metaphorically to play drums. Okay? If you're missing an arm, don't sit on the curb and cry about it and say, well, Jesus saved me, I'll just wait on the bus to heaven to get here. No, 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 no. If Jesus saved you, he is restoring you. And even though your arm's not all the way there yet, you got a cool retro digital drum kit to go, Go out there and play, man. Just rock it out. Mm. Metaphorically speaking. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. In 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be known fully, even as I have been fully known. There's this understanding in the gospel that we see some of it now, but not all of it. We are partially restored now, but not fully restored. Back to Hebrews. We're all over the Bible today. Genesis, Psalm, Hebrews. It's all God's Word, so let's just swim in it. Amen. So in verse 8, it gives me great comfort to know that he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. I mean, what the writer is saying is, man, Jesus reigns supreme over everything. We have no idea. We see part of it. And we're in the broken part of it. But he's restoring everything. Verse 9, we see him for a little while. Oh, I love this verse. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here's what you should do. Is when you, if you just need to look in your Bible at the phrases glory and honor, even today if you look in Psalm 8, God's glory and honor is up here. He creates man down here and crowns him with glory and honor and we blow it in our brokenness. And then Jesus comes in and lives a perfect life who is crowned with glory and honor. So awesome. And look what Christ does with that glory and honor. He suffers a death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Oh man. I mean, Jesus crowned with, I mean, people, we're crowned with glory and honor and we blow it. We squander our wealth and our resources and our influence and our relationships. We just blow it because of selfishness and sin. And Jesus comes over and says, I've been given glory and honor and I'm going to steward it and I'm going to die to redeem you, to rescue you, and to restore you. That is awesome. So here's a few things I want you to take away. Because here we are, we stand in the gap between brokenness and full restoration. We have a created order by which we, we were made, but then we experience brokenness. We're created to reflect God's glory, but we can't and we don't. And think about most of the problems you have, maybe because of your brokenness. Most of the conflict you have, maybe due to somebody else's brokenness, at the end of the day is all brokenness. A person hurt my feelings, they're broken. Well, they shouldn't have done that. Well, why not? You're broken too, right? Right? So we feel the brokenness and the tension. And then over here we have Christ's full restoration, His kingdom where everything's perfect and everybody has both arms and we're rocking out on the drums. No sin, no idols, no tears, no hurt, no pain. But in the meantime, we stand in the middle. And just as Scripture says that as Christ was crowned with glory and honor... Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You see that Christ did what he did by the grace of God. We are saved and redeemed and rescued and restored because of the grace of God. But that grace is something that Christ stewards, not only for that one action, but he gives it to us every day and for eternity. So we have grace between two worlds, a broken one and a fully restored one. In the meantime, we steward grace because Christ has given it to us. So here's what I want to charge you with a few things to think about, a few points of application. I mean, if we are truly created to reflect God's glory, but we're all truly broken and don't reflect God's glory... When we look to Christ for both salvation and restoration, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to take an assessment of your heart. I've been doing this all week. I've never experienced so much brokenness as I have in the past month. Everything that's ever gone wrong for anybody in my life has, has happened this month. experienced death in the family, financial hardships, sickness not me personally, but just around me, like technology just has not cooperated this week, and I just like, have been cursing technology all week. And my sweet wife is like, it's an illustration of brokenness. I'm like, stop it! That was an illustration of brokenness. You're right. Oh, I need to tweet that, you know? So here's what I want to encourage you to do, is take a full assessment of just, of just where you are, seeing how you have been created to glorify God. And search the Scriptures and just see that in Genesis and the Psalms. And then take an honest assessment of your brokenness. It's okay to take an honest assessment of your brokenness. I don't, I don't want us to come in here and say, I'm not broken. I'm just fine. No, man, I want to come in here every week and say, I'm a wreck. Somebody point me to Jesus, please. I want you to say that too. We just link arms, sing some songs, open the Word, and we will look at Jesus together, right? It's the kind of church I want to be a part of. So I want us to have an honest assessment of our brokenness. Look at your relationships. If you're married, husbands, talk to your wives today. And better yet, husbands, listen to your wives today. Invite your wives to speak into your marriage today. We've been in process of this this weekend. My wife and I, it's been fantastic. Because the Lord is good, man. He's sending all kind of grace down. And we're just like, this is beautiful. So husbands, invite your wives to speak into your marriage today. And listen well with all grace See how you were created to be as a man and a woman, to reflect the glory of God in your relationships together, and your family, and then even in your workplace. When you go to work tomorrow, take an assessment of where your heart is. You're not there just to make money. It is God's provision for you. Praise God that you have a job and he's given you money to steward for the betterment of your family and the kingdom. But he's given you people there to take the grace of the gospel to. So just keep your finger on that pulse for a little bit. Another application. poison no order to this, but I'm almost done. Give, great, <clears throat> give grace in the brokenness. What I mean by that is this. Give grace to yourself. I mean, if you blew it with your wife today, give yourself grace. If you blew it with your children, give yourself grace. If your children blew it or your spouse blew it to you, give that person grace. If your boss blew it, give them grace. Give me grace. Give each other grace. Right, Look to Christ together. We do this through scriptures. So I encourage you to read the scriptures. And like we're in Hebrews and we're seeing how all the scripture is pointing to Jesus. Hopefully you see that today. You see Genesis chapter 1. We were created to worship and we blow it. We see Psalm 8. And where God's appear, crowned with glory and honor, gives us glory and honor, we blow it. Jesus comes, fulfills the created purpose of glory and honor Heaven, earth, meet, reflect, boom, gives it to us. Rescue, restoration. So spend time in the Word. Spend time in worship. Personally, missional communities with friends, family. Download some good podcasts. Man, I, you know, there's some great pastors and preachers out there. Man, download those dudes. Let them feed your soul while you run or drive or whatever you do. Right, listen to some good music. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in scripture. Spend some time in discussion. Here's a big one. Fellowship. Fellowship is communal participation. If we do this together, we'll have the opportunity to see God's grace at work in you, and you can see God's grace at work in me. And we could steward a little grace back and forth, right? One more thing and I'm done. Here's something cool. A lot of cool things. Paul writes in Ephesians, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. He put all things under his feet. That should sound familiar, right? It's in Psalm 8, it's in Hebrew, Hebrews. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, to his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So hopefully the good news you are hearing today is we were created to reflect God's glory, but we blow it. We experience brokenness in our relationships, in our work, in every area of life. But in Christ we are rescued and restored. And the Christ who stewards grace on our behalf not only saves us, for the next world, but gives us grace in the present because all things are under his feet and as the head of the church he has given us that grace to steward to one another and to a dying world. We're going to have a time of response in a minute and I want to ask you guys to think about this. First and foremost, if you were not a Christian, it is my hope and prayer that you would see Christ as your rescuer and the one who will restore you not only in this world but the next. And restoration is partial now but is secure eternally in the world to come. If you want to talk about that, grab me and let's talk. If you're here today and you are a Christian, I think we need some good repentance, especially in the regards of being rescued, but neglecting the restoration part of the gospel. Saying like, well, I'm saved, so by grace I'm saved so I can talk this way and cheat people and abuse my wife and neglect my kids and go steal money. I'm saved by grace, man. Then you don't get the gospel. So I think we all need to repent of neglecting the fact that Christ not only saves us, but he restores us, and we steward the grace and that restoration. In the end, we want to all believe the gospel. Belief is ongoing relational trust in the person and work of Jesus on our behalf. So it's my hope and prayer that that's the case. Pontificated a bit. I love you guys. So thanks for listening. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your goodness. I got to pray. Uh, that you would be doing work in our hearts and minds and our marriages and families, God, uh, that we would have an honest assessment of who we are as broken people. God, we know apart from you, we are all broken. In Jesus, that brokenness looks different in each of our lives, perhaps, but we are all broken nonetheless. But God, I thank you that by the grace of God, you send Your Son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life on our behalf, who, who stewards the glory and honor from heaven to earth and stewards it perfectly. God, Your glory and honor is in heaven. You give it to us and we blow it. But thank You that Jesus, on our behalf, lived the perfect life. died a death as our substitute. Rose again promises that restoration, that resurrection to us and the res- restoration of all things and in the meantime gives that grace to His people in the church. So God, I pray that as recipients of grace we would be good stewards of grace. God, that by Your Holy Spirit You would convict us of sin where we need to repent, that You would give us grace to listen well to those who are in need, to confess well of our own need. And God, that You would give us grace and strength to love one another well and restore the reflecting power of the image that you've created us to be to reflect your glory back to you in worship, to reflect your glory to one another in the church and to reflect your glory to a lost and dying world. God, I ask you to do these things for your glory and for our joy and that the gospel would go forth. In Christ's name, amen.